I'm so glad to be here tonight. It's quite a joy to be here and be in this pulpit, to know that my brother is allowing me to be able to come and be able to share with you. I've looked forward to this for many months, and I just treasure the opportunity of coming. When he said he was the favorite, he probably was the favorite. I can promise you that. I know many, many times I thought he was the favorite, and I believe he was, really. He deserved it. He, he certainly was far above the brother that was the elder and has always been the, the favorite of myself as being the best pastor and the best preacher in the whole wide world. He's a great man of God, <clears throat> a great man of God. I asked Sharon today, I went in his office and I saw all those accolades on his windows and all of his walls across there. And I asked her, I said, is there a possibility you could take all those down? She said, take them down. I said, yes, so you can recopy them. And where his name is, place my name, and I'll carry them back home. <clears throat> I don't have all those accolades. I don't have all those uh, positions. But I do have one thing. I have the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that he has saved me. And I know that God has placed me here tonight. I'm not here by accident. or not even here because my brother has asked me. I'm divinely planned by God, and I know that. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. <clears throat> probably some of the most familiar words in all the Word of God, probably the strongest admonition that Paul gave to the church of Thessalonica. Would you please stand with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. These four words, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, dear God, for this day. We thank you, dear God, for the opportunity you've given us to be able to share the Word of God, to do that, Lord God, which we know that you've called us to do. So, Lord Jesus, I'm praying for a memory of recollection. I'm praying for the anointing of the Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm praying, dear God, tonight that every person here would not be guilty of that admonition. That we would not quench the Holy Spirit of God, but we would give freedom to the work and to the ways of the Holy Spirit of God. Help us, dear God, today to submit to your hands, not our ways, but your ways. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Paul gives several commands in the Word of God concerning the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe today that the Holy Spirit of God is mighty. He's very important in our life. In fact, I do believe, according to the Word of God, that we can do nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we look into the Word of God and find that nothing, it simply means in Greek, nothing. That means nothing. We can't play. We can't sing. We can't do anything. We can't witness. We can't preach. We can't love one another. Without the Holy Spirit of God. He is our helper. He's the very source of our need of every single thing that we have a desire to be and ever hope to be. The Holy Spirit of God is our helper. So when we begin to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, I see what Paul really means when he begins to talk about quenching not. In other words, that word quench is an unusual word. It means don't turn aside the original Intended purpose of God. 
Don't turn aside the original intended purpose of God. We look across our land today, and I believe that we are turning the main purpose of the main thing that we ought to be majoring on, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That everything that we ought to be doing is exalting Jesus, lifting up the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you something. You lift your hands, you can say amen, but you can't worship and you can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit of God that's going to glorify God. There's nothing at all that we can do without the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you tonight to open your hearts, open your mind, that the Holy Spirit of God may sweep deep into your hearts and allow you to be able to hear the Word of God, the message that God has for each of us tonight. There's three places in the Scripture Paul mentions concerning the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now that word grieve is an interesting word. It means that you can do it in one or two ways. You can try to do something without the help of God, and that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Cause serious inflictional pain against the precious one. Or you can try to allow God to do what he's called you to do. Now, God won't do what he's called you to do, and you can't do what God can do, so it's no need of trying to do it. We must submit ourselves to the yielding of the Holy Spirit of God and say it's not about me, it's not about my way, but it's about the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has never come to exalt himself, but he's come to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Pawn everybody to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Call serious inflictional pain to the very point that God himself cries out and says, don't do it. Don't do it. We today in our churches many times are finding people trying to duplicate the Holy Spirit of God. Can't do it. Can't do it. He's a one and only. He's the only one who can bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can exalt Jesus to our life. And he's the only one who can bless your life and bless God's life at the same time. So I pray tonight that we wouldn't be guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit. We would not quench the Holy Spirit of God. That is taking the original intended purpose of God and turning it aside. And then in Ephesians 5 verse 18 he says... Be ye not drunken in wine, where is in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There's a lot of erroneous teaching today, heresy, in fact, concerning the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not causing us to do crazy things. It's not causing us to be able to exemplify uh, and glorify ourselves. But it's to take the Holy Spirit of God in our worship and point people to Jesus Christ. To be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now you said, well, now what does that mean? A second feeling? A third feeling? Well, I've had them all. I've had the first and the second. I imagine I've had the thousand feeling of the Holy Spirit of God. And I know what people means when they're talking about the feeling of the Holy Spirit. But what he's really saying in the Word of God is, be ye controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Yield your mind, yield your soul, yield your time, your talent, the tools that you have totally to the Holy Spirit of God, then Jesus Christ can be exalted. Can exalt Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit of God. 
But when I look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, when he says, quench not, don't you do it, don't you do it, he says, turn aside the original intended purpose of God. Once God has come into your life, and you have been filled by the Holy Spirit of God, and I want to tell you something, it's not a hundred days later that I get the feeling of the Holy Spirit of God, but at the very day that I get saved, I got all of God, got all the Holy Spirit and all of Jesus that I'll ever get. Now, he may get some more of me later on, but I got all that he is at that very day. So it's no need to try and say to other people, well, I've got something that you don't have. No, if you got saved, you got exactly what I have. No more, no less. There's nobody here tonight that is more spiritual than I because I have the Holy Spirit of God ruling and reigning in my life, and he's the very one that exalts Jesus Christ. Now, in the Holy Spirit of God, when I look at that and look at the Holy Spirit, I've studied and found that the Holy Spirit of God does six things. First of all, He comes and convicts men of sin. The Bible said no man will ever come to God except the Holy Spirit of God draws him. Simple as that. Now, you can't come because you're emotionally stirred. Yeah, you can't come because you uh, are certainly sorry for what you've done. But you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ by His way. The Holy Spirit of God points you to Jesus Christ. Then He shows you yourself in relevance to, the whole, to God Himself, to His Son. And begin to compare your life, not to the deacon, not to the Sunday school teacher or the pastor, but He points to the Lord Jesus Christ where you can begin to see your sinfulness just as you are. You're a sinner without God that needs help, that needs hope by the Holy Spirit of God. So he comes and he convicts us. You remember in Acts when King Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me, Paul, to be a Christian? You know what he was saying? Paul, it's not about you that's, that's causing me to be convicted, but it's the Holy Spirit of God. Something unusual is happening here tonight. Something unusual was happening here today. And he didn't quite understand all that there was about the ramification concerning the work of the Holy Spirit of God. But he knew one thing. He was convicted upon his soul that he needed someone and that someone was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. And the Holy Spirit of God doesn't point himself to another religion, not to another denomination, not to another way, not to another thing except the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way whereby men can be saved. I don't care what other men have said. I don't care how gracious they have tried to be, how they've tried to please congregations and say, well, you know, everybody needs to come some way, and they may come a different way, but we're all going to meet together. I want to tell you something. In the Greek, that's nothing but a bunch of hogwash. Doesn't mean one single thing to the lost man, because the lost man realizes there's only one hope in his life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes and he convicts us. The first thing that he ever does, the first confrontation you will ever have with the Holy Spirit of God, is that of conviction. Then he comes and he converts men by pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. By simply saying and looking at Jesus Christ as the young lady sung a while ago, by the blood. 
There's something unusual. It wasn't the regular blood. It wasn't the normal blood. But it was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that come to cover my ugly sins, to take me just like I was, and to be able to give me a new life and allow all things to pass away. And behold, all things become brand new through the work of Jesus Christ himself. He converts me by pointing to salvation, which is found in Jesus Christ. But thirdly, he counsels men. Counsels men by leading us to the truth. Jesus Christ said that I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm life. No man comes to God except by me. Now, would Jesus lie? Certainly would not. Well, I want to tell you, there's a lot of preachers today that's preaching on the airways and preaching on TV. There's other ways whereby you can come to God except Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. They're teaching heresy. And they need to be pointed out. And you need to understand, I don't care how popular they are or how shiny their grin is. They're wrong. Dead wrong. The only way man can come and be saved and go to heaven is by pointing and being counseled by the Holy Spirit of God. But then fourthly, he comes and comforts men. What in the world can I do when I sit by a graveside and see some mama who just lost her little boy? Or see her lost her mom or dad. What can I do with that husband when his wife has just run off and he's got three kids to raise? How in the world can I find words enough, adequate enough, sufficient enough that would bring comfort to his life? Well, it's only by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes and comforts men by taking the Word of God, such as Psalms chapter 23. Now, isn't it amazing today? The Lord, as David says in his writing, the Lord is my shepherd. But I'll tell you something, I can also say that. The Lord is not only David's shepherd, he's not only Isaiah's shepherd or Jeremiah's shepherd. He's not only Kelly Burris' shepherd, but he's my shepherd. He leads me in the past where I do not know where I tread and where I walk. But he helps me and he walks beside me and he gives me the comfort of the truth that he's never going to leave me. He's never going to abandon me. The Holy Spirit of God's always going to be with me. Now, you may doubt that sometimes. There may be times of crisis that comes to your life. There may be heartaches and there may be defeat that may come in your life. You say, oh, God, where are you? Well, I'll tell you something. Isaiah felt that way. He felt as if God had gone away. He felt as if God wouldn't speak to him anymore. He felt as if God had just abandoned him. And then all of a sudden that darkness come over his life and then God revealed to him, Isaiah, I just want you to understand something. In the darkness when you can't see me, in the darkness when you can't hear me, in the darkness when you cannot feel me, I'm still with you. That's an absolute truth today. Jesus Christ will never leave you. When you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not going to abandon you when a crisis comes. He's not going to abandon you maybe perhaps even when you do something that's wrong. He's going to give you a loving care and a loving arm and a loving voice of God himself that allows you to know, even though I still will be with you. I love that wonderful promise of God comes to comfort us, but then filthy, he comes to control men over his self-will, over his self-want. Now, isn't it amazing today how selfish we are? Do you know why people don't come to Jesus Christ? Because they're selfish people. 
They want it their way. They want to come to Jesus the way that they want to come. They don't want to give up their rights and be able to say, Lord, I have no rights. I come to you and I submit to your rights and your way and your way is the right way. Oh, if people could just understand when they submit to the Lord Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit of God, they don't have to be ashamed of Jesus. They don't have to believe that Jesus is going to lead them off to some crazy, fanatical way. But the Holy Spirit of God is going to leave you in the valley of peace and the valley of understanding where you can understand that there's a real God and there's only one God whereby men can attest and testify that God is the supreme one. No other gods can come before Him. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. So He comes and He counsels and He comes and comforts and He comes to control men. By pointing them to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know the day that I give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now a lot of people says today, you know, there's not much you have to do to get saved. Just ask him. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot more to salvation than just asking Jesus. That is that when I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got to submit to his way, not my way. I've got to submit to his will, not my will. I've got to say to him, Lord, I want you to take my time, my talents, my tools, my all, and I submit them to you under the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ. I crown you Lord. The Bible said that one day every knee shall bow, one day every tongue shall confess, and one day, no matter who it is, the kings of this world, the rulers of this land, the presidents that have uh, been upon our nation, will have to bow down and crown Jesus Christ Lord of their life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's better to do it now than not to, and then have to do it later before us. But every man is going to do it, and every woman will do it one day. You can say, but I'll be escaped. I've done a good life, and I've done all these good things. Well, you may have been a good person, but goodness is not enough. The Holy Spirit of God comes and points us that all your goodness is as filthy rags. Just old filthy rags. Now, people don't like to hear that. They like to be told that they're good, sweet people. And they are because of what they are. It's because some pastors stood in the pulpit and said they were bad. Hmm. Well, I could stand in the pulpit and try my very best to tell you how bad you are. But I couldn't ever do it to the way that God has showed us in the Word of God we are. We're nothing but rotten, low-down sinners. That's just all you make out of it. Who needs to be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by His grace that we're all saved. We're either saved sinners or lost sinners, but we're one or the other. The Holy Spirit of God comes to control us. But I will tell you, there's a sixth thing that the Holy Spirit of God does that we fail to realize or we fail to preach upon sometime. And that is the Holy Spirit of God has come to chastise people. If you want to really know whether or not you're saved or not, you just get out of the will of God. You just turn away from God and you grieve His Spirit by trying to do what God alone can do. You just grieve the Holy Spirit of God and and tell God you're going to do it and not allow Him to do it. I'll tell you right now, the Holy Spirit of God will take you to the woodshed and when He takes you back there behind the barn, I want to tell you something, you wish to God that he, you had never ever met the Holy Spirit of God. Now I sing the song and you sing the song and I'm blessed by the song that there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. But I want to tell you something, the Holy Spirit of God isn't always sweet to me. 
He gets downright ugly when I get mean. When I tell something I shouldn't have told or when I listen to something I shouldn't listen to or when I do something that I should not have done. I'll tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God didn't wait two weeks later to convince me or He didn't wait until Sunday morning to convince me by the pastor preaching. But instantaneously at that very moment the Holy Spirit of God convinced me, showed me that I didn't have to do that. You know why you sin today? Because you want to. That's the only reason you sin. It's not because you have to. I hear a lot of people today said, well, we got to sin because we're only human beings and God understands that. No, I'll tell you something. You had not read all the book, have you? The Bible said with every form of temptation that God has given it to you, he's made a way whereby you can escape. So you know what that means? When that way comes to your life that you have a temptation to come to you, I'll tell you something. Before that temptation ever come, God knew it was coming. And God began to show you there was a caution light in your life that you need to take heed by and be able to submit to. It may be a lack of Bible reading. It may be a lack of prayer time in your life. It could be a lack of attendance in church or something that God would have you to do. But immediately when you start to do something, you say, well, i got to do it because my neighbor's doing it. I'm going to stay home on Sunday night because everybody else don't come. That don't excuse you. That doesn't excuse you one bit. When God said, for the sake not ourselves in the assembly of the house of God, in a matter of some does, he's saying to you, don't you be like other people. Don't you be like your next door neighbor. Don't you be like your brother or your sister. Don't you be like some of these preachers on today and off tomorrow. But you submit to your life that you're going to live the life holy unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God said I'm to become, what I'm to do. He wouldn't ask me to do something if I wasn't capable to do it, and that's be holy. I'm a holy individual. I'm a saint of God. Why? Because God has attested to the fact to me that's who I am. And if we live beneath that of who we are, we're living beneath of the standards of God himself. The reason we sin is because I choose not the way that God has given me to escape. You say, well, that's preaching perfect perfection. Oh, no. I'm not preaching to you that I live a perfect life, but I'm preaching to you that I ought to seek after perfection in my life. No less. As Jesus Christ sinned not, that ought to be my desire. That ought to be my hope. That ought to be my desire every single day that I not do anything that calls blame or calls harm to the life and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has helped me to do such. So if you're sinning today, it's not because uh, you're living in a wicked world. We're wicked in our, our world is wicked today, not because the world is wicked. The world is wicked today because people's wicked. The problem's not in the White House tonight. The problem's in our house. Just go to the churches tonight and I'll show you week after week. You can see a decline in most of our churches today. Why? Because we're not taking the seriousness of the end of the life of the times that Jesus Christ has set aside with us, showing us in the Word of God that Jesus Christ is going to come soon. Isn't that good news? Well, it is for some. But for some, it will be bad news when He comes. I told somebody the other Sunday, I said, yeah, a lot of you like that avalanche that I'm driving, don't you? Everybody's raising their hands, especially the men. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it away. I said, when the rapture comes, you can have it, son. 
You can just take it. Keys and all, they'll be laying on the mantle and you just go by and pick it up. Drive it as long as you want to because I won't be able to drive it any longer. I'll be in heaven with glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be raised up from this old body and I'll be raised up with those who have been brought forth to death in life before. And there in the air, I shall meet those and I shall be with Jesus forevermore. So he comes and he chastises men. What do you mean by that, preacher? You mean he just downright takes you out and gives you a whipping? Oh, it's worse than that. Oh, it's worse than that. My dad used to tell me he's going to whip me. Uh, if he told me something, he did it. Uh, my dad never broke his promise. He said, if he'd tell you, son, when I get you home, I'm going to try my very best to break your behind. I'll tell you something. He did. He tried. Very much so. Hey, many times I thought, by gracious alive, if my dad lived today, they'd put him in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no kidding. I really believe he'd, he'd go to jail. He believed in the strap. He believed in the rod of correction. He believed in authority. He believed in the household that the fathers were the head of the household. He believed in the church that the pastor was the head of the authority of the body of the sheep that God had given He believed in the authority of the country that whether you like the president or not, we're to pray for higher authority. God has taught us and showed us that when we fail to submit to the authority of God, we're going to be in a mess. We're going to be in a mess. Our our world today is in a mess because there are so many people today that are sinning. You say, well, how are they getting by with it? They're lost. Without chastening, God said, there's no sonship. Without chastening, he said, you're as a bastard without a father. He said, but when you are chastened, delight in it because you are a son of God. God doesn't have any spoiled grandchildren, I can tell you that. My grandchildren, that my kids will tell me every time when they bring them over, they'll say, Daddy, I say, what is it, darling? They said, you didn't treat us that way as you do our little boy and our little girl. I said, what do you mean? Well, if we did that, you'd tear their bumps up. I said, well, uh, I just can't see fit to do it today. Can't seem fit to do that to my own grandchildren. But I'll tell you something, I do spoil them. And if they're not spoiled, it's probably my fault. Because I do everything that I can to spoil them. But I'll tell you something, God has no spoiled grandchildren. None whatsoever. If he says that you are to do something, he demands that you to do it. It's not an option. You say, well, I've got an option. I've got a voice, don't I? No, when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you lose your voice. You lose your vote. You see, that's where we're getting all mixed up with this predestinational fact. You see, I believe in predestination. I believe that there's a will of God for my life. I believe that I have a will of God. And I believe God showed me his will and he cast a vote. No. And I can submit to that vote and I can say yes. Or to look to the devil and the devil say yes. And then God looks to me and says, okay, son, you cast a deciding vote. Whether you're going to live for me or not live for me, it's up to you. But once you submit to the hand of Almighty God, I want to tell you something, no longer are your own. You can't go as you please and do as you please. You can't say what you please. You can't be what you want to be. I see people today running all across the country trying to find a place where they can fit in. 
Well, just settle down and let God place you where he wants to be and you will enjoy it. Just settle down and realize that wherever you go, you're going to bring the same old person with you. If you bring the person with you and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll realize, according to Matthew chapter 6, you won't have any worries. None whatsoever. I've learned that's a great freedom in Christ. Is to send all of my cares, all my troubles to the hand of Almighty God. Submit to His will. No longer do I go. I'm sent. No longer do I tell. I'm told. No longer do I decide. It's decided for me. Now isn't that wonderful tonight? To realize God in the formation before there was me. God made every decision for my life before I was. Now do you understand that? If you do, you're better off than I do. I don't understand it. I told somebody the other day, I preach a whole lot more than I know. You do that, Brother Kelly? Well, sure we do. We all preach a whole lot and listen to a whole lot more than we know. We don't understand maybe perhaps some of the processes of God, but I understand this. The Holy Spirit of God gives me as much understanding as I want. We think that we've got a will that we can decide. We've got a vote. You see, in our churches today, especially in the Baptist churches, we think we are a democracy. Uh, that we have a right, raise our hand and say, I'm for it, preacher, I'm for it. Or I'm against it, preacher, I want you to know I'm against it. That's just a part of my old self, preacher. I'm just like my daddy. I, if, I, if I'm against something, I'm just against it. You ever heard people say that? Oh, preacher, I've got that temper because I'm red-headed. I'm that red-headed stepchild. No, you got that temper because you're not under control. Uh, you, when you begin to realize that when we have a vote in the house of God, it's not voting in objection to God. It's finding the will of God and submit to His will. Because the votes already been decided. I don't have to go look and count votes and see if it's the will of God for my church. All I got to do is go and find out what God wants, and that'll be what we need to do. A lot of us today is running around saying, well, uh, let's go see if we can afford it. Afford it? God owns it all, don't he? Well, I don't have to go ask God, can he afford a building? All I've got to do is find out if God wants me to build a building. Hello? Am I talking to somebody tonight? I'm telling you before God tonight, we have not because why? Because we don't ask. We don't believe God. There's many a time I've substituted God for something as little as an aspirin. Have you ever done that? Had a headache before you uh, ever thought about even asking God to take away that headache? You went to the the cabinet and pulled out an aspirin, took two bare aspirins, and then you said, man, they're total failures. They don't do what the TV says they're going to do. Well, I'm here to tell you something. Before we take any kind of drugs, before we take any kind of things, or before we submit to any hands of a doctor, we ought to pray and submit to the hands of Almighty God, seeking His will and His way for our life. And I'll promise you, you can save a lot of doctor bills. That's the truth. Uh, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is, it's not, it's not a holiness uh, doctrine to preach concerning healing. That's just who Jesus is. When our brother tonight said that he is our Rapha, he is the very one who is our healer. He's the very source of everything. Everything that I've ever partake of, of everything that's ever been done for me, come through the almighty hands of almighty God. 
And I'll tell you something. We go without in our churches. We see people not being saved in our churches. You know why? We're not asking God to do something that has to be done in order for them to be saved. You said, well, preacher, I pray for all the lost people to get saved. Well, that's pretty general prayer, is it not? Uh, if nobody gets saved, you just assume that nobody was there that was lost? Is that what you assume? When we go out on Sunday morning, nobody gets saved. We just assume, well, preacher, everybody was saved today. Now, it's a good sermon, and you preached for a whole hour on salvation, but we didn't need it. I can tell you something right now. We needed it. Whatever comes out of the mouth of that preacher on Sunday mornings, we need it. If there's a salvation message, there's somebody there holding on and resenting and resisting the work of the Holy Spirit of God of bringing him to Jesus Christ. You say, well, how are we to pray? Well, we have the power of God to realize that in the Bible it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities of this air. We wrestle against the wicked darkness of this air. We wrestle against the devil and the demons of hell. So what am I saying? Well, the reason that man don't hear your preacher is because he's deaf. You have to pray that his ears can be opened up so he can hear the Spirit of God. You have to pray that his eyes shall be opened up that he can be able to see his need because without seeing his need, he'll never come to God. So we have to come not against the man, not against the sinner, but we must come against the spirit that's hindering him from coming to God. Hmm. Ever thought about that, Christian? That right in your hands, right in your life, you have the power of God to break down the chains of darkness in your church. Break down the chains of hindrance that's hindering some young man from surrendering to the call of the preaching of the gospel. Right in your hands, right in your mind, right in your voice, you have Almighty God living. All we got to do is just ask and believe. You said, is it that simple? Well, that's what God says. He says, believe and you shall receive. Is that what he said? He said, ask and you shall find, seek. Ask and you shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and what? The doors of heaven shall be opened. If we not finding, then undoubtedly we're not asking. We're not seeking. We're not knocking. If we're not seeing doors open up before our very face of seeing the work of God and not the work of man. What we've done in our churches in these latter days is substitute the work of the power of Almighty God. And that's the Holy Spirit. By trying to replace Him with other manipulation that manipulates minds. And meant to manipulate people through the charisma of individuals rather than through the power of the Holy Ghost of God. You know, you can do that through music. You can do that through charisma, charismatic individual who has a personality that can stand and look and he has a great oratory voice. You can look at him and be able to be persuaded. Man, this man got something I don't have. Yeah, he does. He has good training. He's got a good voice, and he's been used by Satan to convince you you don't have to do anything except just go out from here and come down this church and sign a paper that you're an ownership. That's what one pastor in our town is doing now. He's not taking membership. He's allowing you to sign a paper to become ownership. There's a catch to it, though. In order to be a member of his church or to be ownership of his church, you've got to submit, listen to this, on a signed statement 
of your income that your income is going to be withdrawn from your checking account every week before Sunday for your tithes and offerings. He don't care if you come or not. In fact, he'll promise you and tell you that he's not going to come to the hospital to visit you. I don't understand people listening to people that won't even come and talk with me. Do you? Huh? Do you? Really? Do you think Joel Osteen's going to visit you when you get in the hospital? Huh? Have you? That little smiley face, I'm telling you right now, he's going to show up. He just isn't going to do it. He's not coming down there to see you when you have a heartache. He's not going to come and pray for you. Now, he may tell you that you're a good man. But goodness isn't going to take you away from the fear that the devil will place in your life. You better grab a hold of something that's much stronger than Joel Osteen. You better grab a hold of the power of the Holy Spirit of God that enables you to be the enabler of living for Christ Jesus. So I shared with you that there are Six things that the Holy Spirit of God does. i got to hurry real fast because I promised Brenda that I would not preach much over an hour, so I won't. But anyway, there's two reasons that we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. First of all, that's to brand us, to make us different. I am different. Since Jesus Christ came into my life, I've been a different person. You know, a lot of things that I used to want to do, I don't no longer want to do. I've been a changed individual. The individual that I am now was not the man that I was before I got saved. It's the Holy Spirit of God that brought the change in me. It wasn't me quitting habits. It was the Holy Spirit of God that did a spiritual change in my life. He gave me a good case of don't want us. (laughs) And if you still want the same things that you wanted before you got saved, in other words, as Manly Beasley said, if you are what you were before you got saved, you didn't get saved. Huh? Can I say that one more time? If you are what you were before you got saved, you didn't get saved. All things must be passed away. There must be a new desires in your life. You must not be holding on to the same old strong uh, chains that held you down and pressured you down and incarcerated you from the love and the ways of God. God has set you free. I'm free indeed today. So he's come to brand me. Now what does that word brand mean? It means to mark me. When you go to Texas or Oklahoma and you see those cattle in the field, you know what you'll find? There'll be a brand mark on the side of those cattle. And if they get all mixed up and go down to the neighbor's land, the neighbor would go down there and say, that's my cow. How do you know? Because it's got my brand on it. How does, you, how does this world know that you're God's children? Because you've been branded. You've got something that the world don't have, but that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only difference between you and the lost man is the Holy Spirit of God. It's not that you quit drinking. It's not that you quit going to a motel and having an affair with some secretary. It's it's not that. That you quit lying, you quit stealing, you did all those things of quitting things. It's because the Holy Spirit of God come in your life never to leave you, never to forsake you. He branded you. I'm a child of the living God. I've been branded. Oh, glory to God. I want to ask you tonight, have you been branded? Does everybody know? If you walk down the shopping mall, does people know you're saved? Where you're working at, does people know by the way that you have a conversation, the way that you live, the way that you act, that you're saved? Come on, get real. Does your next door neighbor know that you're saved on Sunday night? 
I tell my members, if you're going to stay at home on Sunday night, pull your garage door, for God's sake, down. Cut out your lights and don't let them know that you're a member of Westside Baptist Church. We brand it, folks. We're different than the world. There's no need for us to come up and say, well, we are who we are. No, you are what you want to be. <laughs> That's exactly what we are. We've been branded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And once we've been branded, we've been brought under control of the Holy Spirit of God. And when you're out of control in your own life, you're out of control with God. In other words, when I'm not loving Jesus Christ as I ought to, I'm not loving men as I ought to. When I'm not loving my wife as I ought to, I'm not loving God as I ought to. You see, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is the Holy Spirit of God enables me to do things that I normally or could never ever do without Him. I have people in my church and other churches that I've passed on. I'll tell you something, it's hard to do. In fact, it's not hard, it's impossible to love. But I've got to. If I make it into heaven, I've got to look at those people dead in the eyes and not counterfeit it now and say, Brother, I love you, but deep down in my heart, I've got to search and say, God, I need help. I need help. This person is not very lovable, God. So I'm asking you to help me to find something in their life to find lovable and really actually, without any influence of hypocrisy, love that people as you love them. Wouldn't that settle the problems in our land today if people just started loving one another? We don't have a race problem. We have a love for God. That's the only problem we have. It's not a love for our brothers and sisters because they're black or white. It's a problem because we don't love God as we should that enables us to be able to love whatever color there is. Now, in the sight of God, there is no color. But when we look at people, we start analyzing and justifying, here's a color, here's red, yellow, black, and white. But when I sing that little song when I was little, I always remember something where I was at the end of the song. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white. I'm way down the list, son. I'm way down the list. Before I was able to really look at anybody, even my wife, and say to her, Honey, I love you. Before I ever could really act like I really loved her, I must have had an encounter with God. There must be an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God to enable me to love her in the good times and the bad times. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary. Somebody said, how did you do it? Uh, by God's help. And it took a lot of help for her. More so than me. It's been very easy to love her, but I'll tell you something. There have been a lot of times she should have just thrown me out the door with a dishwash. Huh? You know what I'm saying, man? There's a lot of time I, I was just real ugly to her. It wasn't real kind to her. In fact, I was more kind to the women in the church than I was her. That's awful to say, isn't it? Somebody said honesty is a good policy, but it is bad for the reputation. <laughs> I'm just being honest. There's people in my church that's very easy to love. Those older folks, those gray-haired women and men, they come out and they put their arms around me. They say, Pastor, I just love you more than any pastor we've ever had. Now, I know they lie, but I just eat it up. 
And I can just love on them. I'm telling you, I, I don't have any problem at all. Monday morning, they tell me, so-and-so's birthday was yesterday, Pastor. And I, I thought to myself, well, they went out of church. I didn't even acknowledge their birthday when they walked out the door. So I sent them a dozen rows or a box of candy. And they called me back and said, Pastor, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Because I love them. Not because I have to, because I want to. Because I don't want to miss an opportunity of showing people that I love them genuinely. I want to recognize their birthdays. I want to recognize their anniversaries. I want them to know that I'm glad that they're a member of mine. I want them to know that I appreciate their faithfulness in the house of God. Isn't it amazing, Kelly, how many people we visit that don't even come to church compared to those that do come to church? I spend most of my time in the hospital visiting people who don't even come to church. Past members who now loves me more than they've ever loved anybody. Isn't that amazing? Hello, I am talking. <laughs> I get more calls from former members telling me how good I am than I do the members I've got. That is when they're in a crisis. When they need a preacher. When they need somebody to come to the hospital, they need to come somebody to the funeral home. I'm the greatest man in history, son, in Spartanburg. But before then, oh, glory to God, I ain't going to tell you what they thought about me. But I'm just simply saying to them, I say, honey, whether you like me or not, you got to love me. I say that to every member I've got. You you ain't got a choice whether you love your pastor or not. You've got to love him because God's commanded that if you don't love him, you can't love God. Isn't that what God said? Then God said if you don't love others just like you love God. In other words, really what we're doing is testifying how much love we do have for God when we love others. So I'm branded. But then there's a second thing that the Holy Spirit of God does, and that is come, he comes to burn out of me all the iniquities of sin in my life, to keep me pure, to keep me holy. You said, Pastor, what do you mean? When I sin, the Holy Spirit of God immediately speaks to my heart and says, Son, you have blemished. You have brought Jesus Christ back to the cross again. You're crucifying my son again. You didn't have to do that. Now, I'm going to show you where you messed up, where you messed up. And, you know, every time I have, I don't like counseling sessions anymore, Brother Kelly, because usually somebody has a fault because somebody else had a fault. That man's got a fault because his wife was a total failure in their marriage. That woman has a fault because that man in their marriage was a total failure. That's what they say. They never find the blame on themselves or never find an issue where they can reconcile that they're looking at each other and both of them, perhaps, if they just sit down and look at each other, they could find a reconciliational place where they could come and agree upon. I hate to see it when it ends up in divorce courts. I hate to see it when it already ends into a lawyer and then they come to me and tell me, preacher, pray for me. They've already decided what they're going to do. Let me tell you something. Before you ever get to that divorce court, seek God. Before you ever go to that divorce court or go to that lawyer, find out what God wants in your life. Find out if you're loving Jesus Christ supremely. Find out if in your life, if you submitted with the authority of asking God what the will of God is for your family each and every day. He 
come to burn out of me all those things that ought not be in me. Purifies me. Isn't that what fire does? It purifies the substance. Fire's bad sometimes, but fire's good sometimes. You can't have real good steel unless you put it to the fire. And you can't really be a, a real powerful individual unless to, maybe perhaps until you do go through the fire. You know what I'm saying? I think I knew God when I was little, but I really know God now. Now that I've gone through some of the things I've gone through, God helped me to be able to find the wisdom and the opportunity to be able to seek God and find the ways of God. God helped me, not because of who I was, but who He is. I want to tell you something. When I was little, my dad taught me a lot of things, but one thing he did teach me that's never ever going to be erased, and that's how to build a fire. Now, I know it's pretty late. I'm fixing to quit. You heard preachers say that? (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm telling you is this. I know how to build a fire. And if you'll listen to me, when wintertime comes, you'll know how to build a fire. You say, well, how do you build a fire, preacher? Well, you go get you a pit, and you get five gallons of water, and you pour the water all over that pit. And then you go get you some cement blocks and put in there, and some barbed wire, and throw it into there, and some tin cans, and put it all in there. You said, preacher, that's not a way of building fire. You're right. And there's some things that won't burn in the Holy Spirit's fire. Too much recreation, not enough recreation, won't burn in the Holy Spirit's fire. Too much reading books and not reading the book won't burn in the Holy Spirit's fire. Too much listening to as the wind sweeps across our TV and not listening to the Word of God and not listening to the very thing that God is trying to say to you won't burn in the Holy Spirit's fire. And the Holy Spirit of God has come to show you there's some things in your life that's keeping you from worshiping like you used to worship. In other words, what you're doing is exactly what Paul said you better not do, and that's quench, turn aside the original intended purpose of Almighty God. You know you're not here by plan. You're here by divine providence. 2,000 years ago, God knew every single person that's going to be here. God knew I was going to be here. Now, when I was born, I didn't have any idea where Virginia was, much less where Kempsville was. And to be honest with you, I don't know how to get back even now, to be honest with you. If I don't have some help on that OnStar, I'm stuck with you folks. But what I'm saying to you, I've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and never let the flame go out. That which was burning and radiantly aflame and on fire for God, that's what needs to be transacted in our lives and in our churches today. It's not old-time preaching. It's just old-fashioned living, as the book says. Just as the book says, live holy, live godly. Live asking God to forgive you wherein you have failed. Forgive me, dear God, for the things that I have said. Forgive me, dear God, for not forgiving others as I've asked them to forgive me. That's quenching the spirit. That's putting out the fire. Our churches today don't need more staff. They need more release of the Holy Spirit of God. We don't need more promotions. We need more of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I remember the disciples got in trouble. 
Not because they was living unholy, because they was living godly. They were thrown into jail. And then when they got into jail, they didn't ask God to release them. Give them power, God, that I can be released. Oh, no. They prayed for the very thing that got them in trouble. And that was for boldness. Hmm. Wouldn't it be good today if every member of every church that testifies that they're sons and daughters of God, if they would just release what they say they have? If we would just obey who he is. If we'd just find out what we got. And just release him as he once was in our life. You remember the day you got saved? How rich the fire was burning? And then all of a sudden something come and kindly dampen the fire. I'll tell you what it was. Sin. That's the only thing that can put out the fire is Sin. And until we acknowledge I have sinned, we're never going to see the restoring of the Holy Spirit of God back to our churches or back to our lives. So I ask you tonight, are you quenching the Holy Spirit? Are you turning aside what God really intended you to be? Are we allowing this church to be what it once was? Are we allowing it to be a flame, a high tower that's reaching out and guiding the lost world to Jesus Christ? Have we come so far and so educated that we no longer need the Holy Spirit of God? Have we come so far in debt that we have come to the place that we have replaced God with people rather than power? Disciples didn't have enough prestige to get them out of jail, but they had enough power to break down the jails. Huh. You know what I'm saying today? We've got enough prestige to get into the trouble that we're in, but we don't have enough power of God to release us from the chains of darkness that's incarcerated our lives today. Our churches ought to be the most exciting place in this nation. Our churches ought to be filled with the power of God where people are getting saved each and every day. Isn't that what God said in the book of Acts? As such should be. Well, why aren't they, God? If they should be, there's only one reason. I've grieved the Holy Spirit of God. I've allowed Him to simply cry because I've tried to do something that only God can do. I've released myself into performance rather than power of the Holy Ghost of God coming upon me. It takes the power of God to stir a lost man's life. It takes the power of God to change a sinner to a saved man. It takes the power of God for you to live godly and holy. Are you living that kind of life tonight? Have you submitted to the word of God said, Lord, it's not my will, it's not my way, but Lord, I'm sincere, God. We need revival. I heard a pastor the other day said, we need such revival that there's such a stirring and a moving of the Holy Spirit of God that people are getting saved everywhere that the devil himself will pray for the rapture. You'll get that when you get home. <laughs> Did you? You tell me. I'm going to quit talking to you on the phone, son. About half he preaches is what I've told him. I want you to remember that. No, about, about three-fourths of what I know come from him, really. But what I'm telling you today is we need the power of God once again return back to our churches. Do we not? Don't we need the old-fashioned Holy Ghost of God that when we assemble ourselves in the parking lot, that the power of God will be so rich 
so rich that even before you get in here and sing one stanza of one song or before the preacher ever gets up, people are convicted over their sins. Wouldn't that be good? When's the last time you've seen a church just filled with power? How I many the Holy Ghost just get a hold of a church and just shake it? I mean, just shake it loose. I mean, uh, we didn't worry about anything else. We weren't concerned about anything else. We weren't looking at our watches or we weren't looking about the calendar or anything of that nature. We just simply wanted God to do it however long it took. I'm sticking with you, God. I'm not going to let up. not going to give up. I'm not going to back up because the Holy Spirit of God's come to take me up. And that's the only way that I'm going, folks. When I leave this world, I don't want to look behind and see that I had the choice to be able to be a a fiery, powerful church and a fiery individual that when I go out into this world, souls will look at me and think I'm crazy. Wasn't that what they thought about Paul? Didn't they say he was a lunatic, a crazy man? Well, let me ask you something. Do they think you're crazy? Or have you adjusted to the ground so much they can't see any different in their life than yours? Hmm. That's a shame, isn't it? And a shame tonight that our churches have become basically like a nightclub. If you go to some of these nightclubs and then go to some of these churches, you wouldn't know the difference. If you didn't see the people's name or the name of the church on the building when you come on the inside, you wouldn't know the difference. Same kind of singing, same kind of work up of the flesh. No power of God whatsoever. But they have crowds and they have buildings and they have all kinds of things jumping and hopping and leaping and screaming. I'll tell you something. You don't have to be taught how to worship when you feel with the Holy Ghost of God. Hmm. You don't have to have a worship leader. Your leader is the Holy Spirit of God. He is our leader. And when we submit to him, we'll know exactly what to do and when to do it. There's nothing wrong with shouting if you're shouting in the power. But if you're shouting in the flesh, just sit down. We don't have room for it. It's not no need to be in our churches today. Room for flesh when the power of God has come. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Do you believe that? I hope you do. But Paul says, don't you quench that spirit. Don't you put out the fire. Once he has branded you, let it burn. Let him burn in your life. Let the flames of God raise up and touch people's lives as lost and convince them without a shadow of doubt they need to be saved. Preacher, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He knows Preacher, I'm not too sure if I'm walking the ways of God. Ask the Holy Spirit of God. He'll tell you. You know why we don't ask? Because we don't want to know. Hmm? So I'm going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. We're going to bow our heads. I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, are you in total control of my life? Is there something in my life, God, that you're seeking after? Seeking, dear God, want me to submit to? To have authority over God. Is there something, God, that I'm unsubmissive to? 
If so, God, lay it on my heart. Show me, dear God, deep down in my soul. And I promise you before Almighty God, before even, Lord, the invitational song, I'll run to the altar and I'll cry out and I won't leave, God, just because I want to leave. But, God, I'll stay there until you do a work of burning out the impurities of my life. Do you want to know if you're really saved tonight, sister? Have you really been wrestling that for days and years? Have you? Have you really been uh, asking whether or not you really are saved? Did you like to know? The only person can know is not your preacher. We can't go back and look at the baptismal records and decide whether or not you're saved. But if you ask the Holy Spirit of God tonight, are you really saved? He'll tell you. And if you're not saved, why don't you just submit to the will of ways of the Holy Spirit of God? Come down to this altar. Let us open up the Word of God and show you by committing your life, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ has truly been raised from the dead. You shall be saved. Would you stand with me, please? Have you been honest enough to ask he, the Holy Spirit of God, what he wants to do in your life tonight? Have there been someone that's here tonight that God, God has really touched your heart and showed you you hadn't been worshiping like you ought to? And you say, God, why not? Why am I not feeling the touch of God as it used to be upon my life? God will show you why. God, the, the power of God used to rest upon my family. But God is no longer there. My children are rebelling so. And God, there's no authority that's left in our home. Why, God? God will show you why. If you want to know, ask him. God, we don't see the power of God in our churches as we used to. You want to know why? Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. He'll tell you what you need in your churches. He'll tell you what we all need. A return back of surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Let the fire rage, let the fire burn. But don't you throw something in the Holy Spirit's pit that won't burn and ask God to bless it because he can't. He can't do it. As we sing the invitation to him, what does God ask you to do tonight? I'm asking you, just surrender to whatever God is asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to do. If it's come tonight and pray for some lost soul, come on. If it's come tonight and pray that you get saved, come on. If it's pray tonight and ask God to restore you back to where you're the original place that you used to be, come on to God. Come on tonight. As the songwriter said, oh, why not tonight? I ask you, why not tonight? Why don't you do it tonight? Why wait to Sunday? Why wait to another day?